Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast. I am Cammy Black. It's a one-off special this week. We said we'd bring you these every two weeks, but we've, uh, we're putting this special out following our discussion in the last episode of the ban for the Newton Stewart player for being found to have used recreational drugs. We spoke to Andy Brown from the Sports uh, Integrity Initiative. Uh, we spoke to Andy a little bit around how the UK anti-doping agency work, um, a little bit around... Um, the different classifications of drugs uh, used by the World Anti-Doping Agency, including the fact that they're keeping an eye on caffeine. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Uh, and we also then get into um, a bit on supplements at the end of the interview as well, and Andy's advice basically not to use them uh, at all. Um, thank you very much uh, to whoever suggested that I get some backing music for telling people how you can contact the podcast. So uh, here we go. It's the music from Vision On. For those of you who... Um, old enough to remember it apologies to younger listeners um, I'll, I'll find something suitably young maybe dick and dom in the bungalow for next week um so yeah you can get in touch with uh, us on twitter at scott rugby blog or at cami black visit the blog scottish rugby blog.co.uk uh, you can also uh, find us on facebook and instagram um, and uh, anywhere else that you might want to find us don't forget we're on uh, apple podcast i feel like i should have a very soothing voice during this. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, and TuneIn. Don't forget to leave us a review. Um, for now, though, uh, let's hear from Andy Brown from the Sports Integrity Initiative. And when we come back, we'll uh, read out some of your contributions for this week's podcast. We're joined uh, by Andy Brown, the editor of the Sports Integrity Initiative, uh, which was created to air key issues in sports integrity and provide a platform for debate. Uh, Andy's a journalist who's been writing about the governance of sport for over 15 years. Andy, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me, Cameron. Uh, no, no problem. Now, the first question we always ask anybody when they uh, come on the podcast is uh, what socks they would wear if they were selected for the Barbarians. Um, definitely Leicester Tigers. It's a fairly straightforward choice. Is that where you're from then? Um, well, I'm based in Loughborough. I'm actually from London, but my family is all from the Midlands and all sport Leicester Tigers, so I don't really have much of a choice. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now, we, we've got you on because uh, there was a report came out, I think, uh, last week about a player, uh, Tyrell Wilson, uh, who plays a national three level in Scotland, who's been banned uh, for two years for um, taking uh, MDMA, or we'll, we'll, we'll just call it ecstasy, because I think that's its common uh, name. Um Sure. It's interesting because this is this is at an amateur level, and I know at a professional level, um, professionals are supposed to keep um, testers aware of the whereabouts at all time. But but at amateur level, um, is it just a case that that testers will just sort of randomly select a game and turn up? Um, well, it could have happened in one of two ways, and the first way um, is as as you say, it could be be just a random test carried out by Scottish Rugby or UCAD to see if there's um, any doping at that level of the game. Um, the other way it could have happened is it could have been a tip-off, um, either by another player or an official, that um, Mr. Wilson was using drugs, and so they turned up and tested him on that basis. But because, you know, it's a, it's a confidential decision, we'll never know the details of that. We'll never know how the test came about. What we do know is um, he's been sanctioned for MDMA. Yeah, um, and and it's it, it's it's a case involving recreational drugs, and and from from what I was sort of reading online it, on the World Anti Doping Agency, there seems to be a differentiation between um, recreational drugs and what are perceived as performance enhancing drugs. But does that vary from sport to sport as to how they're classified? 
Yeah, it, it, it kind of does. And it kind of varies as well um, from drug to drug, if you like, because um, MDMA and um, I would say LSD as well uh, are not really um, performance enhancing in a sport like rugby, which is what this podcast is about. For example, if, if you went on the, um, the field after taking MDMA, I suppose your tendency would be to hug everyone yeah. rather than engage in a, um, you know, um, a brutal game of rugby. If you took LSD, you might have trouble locating where the, the posts are, where the other players are, etc. You might become disorientated, which wouldn't help you either. However, um, if you took something like um, amphetamines, which is a stimulant, that might actually increase your performance in rugby. And, and there's also, in, obviously, if you smoke cannabis, that wouldn't help you in rugby. But if you did that, for example, in um, a sport such as archery, it might relax you enough to hit the target better. Um, so, yeah, it does vary from sport to sport. Um, and it also varies from substance to substance. And am I right in thinking that alcohol is still prohibited in some sports as well? No, absolutely. I mean, obviously, in motorsports, it's still prohibited. Um, it, it was um, on the sort of wider list for a while um, as a substance to be monitored. Um, but obviously, due to cultural reasons, that it's a difficult sub- substance to put on the list. Similarly, caffeine um, is also quite a powerful stimulant, and lots of um, sports supplements are based around caffeine. Um, and WADA did have a look at that and you know put it on the watch list as a substance they might consider banning. However, um, due to cultural reasons, again, it would be very difficult to ban caffeine. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because we we see a lot of particularly rugby players. That's their that's their thing because obviously they're they're restricted from uh, alcohol for training reasons. So that seems to be their thing. So that, is that that sort of still on the watch list or has that sort of been sort of kicked I, in the long grass? It's it's not it's been kicked in the long grass for the time being, but you know it might be brought back onto the field of play in the future because they're always updating the watch list and you know putting new substances onto it. So. And is that is that a case because the for, from the point of view of um, sort of I suppose pharmaceutical companies and, and other companies that will produce supplements that that they sort of constantly move the goalposts by producing new products and using things in different ways and sort of what are responding to that then? Um, not really so much the supplement companies. Um, I suppose it's the the chemical manufacturers really. Um, they come up with new um, drugs, often designed for medical use, um, and they're experimental drugs um, that determined dopers managed to get their hands on. Mm. Um, I think GW1516 is a good example of this. Um, it's never been actually been put to the market, as I believe, um, but it's been got hold of by people because they found that it does have a performance-enhancing effect. And this drug's never actually been produced um, by a chemical manufacturer. It's still in developmental stages. But people use it because they know it's had, had an effect. And in, in, in today's social media world as well, you only have to go onto YouTube and um, you know, look, at, look at videos of, of what works to sort of find out what substances people are using. And, and there is a sort of regulatory grey area with supplement companies, which is also quite dangerous. Um, in that, um, as I understand it, in the UK, um, if they put something on the label, sorry, into their product that's not on the label, um, it's up to the local authority to sanction them. Now, local authorities have better things to do than go chasing supplement companies for ingredients. So that there needs to be tighter controls in this area, I think. Yeah, and um, the, 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 going back to this particular case, because it's the um, with with ecstasy and rugby, it's prohibited. Uh, during what's described as the sort of in competition period, so so for this particular instance, it was um, 
after 2 a.m. on the day of the game. Now, that's that's standard. Is that sort of a standard in competition period for most sports? Yeah, it's it's a standard in competition period for most, most sports. To be honest with you, I don't know whether it varies from sport to sport, but it's generally, if it's used on the day of competition, it's considered in competition. Um, if you test positive for it um, in competition, so if, if you're tested at, at a match and you've got um, a substance in your system, it's considered in competition. If you're tested, um, you know, not not on a game day when you're in training, that's considered out of competition, and you wouldn't be sanctioned in the same way. When you say wouldn't be sanctioned in the same way, would would there still be some sanction then, or or would it be a case that the sort of results would be passed on to what, the club or the employer or the union for sort of other other sanctions? It, it depends on the substance involved. Um, you know, if it's something like EPO and you're a cyclist and you test positive out of competition, you're still going to be hit with the, the full four-year ban. Um, but if it's, for example, cannabis and you're a cyclist and it's out of competition, you're likely to be hit with less of a ban um, than you would be if you tested positive on the day, although it's debatable um, because it's debatable whether cannabis has a performance-enhancing effect in cycling. <laughs> so it's, it's complicated, to say the least. Yeah. But I mean, the, the the main thing I want to say about this really is is there needs to be a common sense approach really to these these recreational cases. Um, and I noticed that UCAD um, had actually sought to assert that um, Mr. Wilson had used used the used MDMA intentionally on the day of competition. Now, now you've got to have some sympathy with them here because he did use it um, intentionally, albeit not for performance enhancing purposes. I don't think. But he did use it intentionally and he did use it on the day of competition. So what they argued is correct. But they they actually employed a professional scientist of the um, Professor Cohen at the, the King's College Drug Control Centre to back up their case. And and you, you have to wonder, I mean, UK anti-doping probably have good reasons for this, but you have to wonder why they're wasting money doing that. Yeah, that was probably one of the, that was something I was going to come on to because the... the... This is a an amateur player, um, amateur level, and I think you know, even he in the the very short statement that he did provide was 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 pretty you know open about his behaviour and, and very apologetic, and you know has talked about the effect it's going to have on him not being able to play the sport he loves. But it it seemed to be, I don't know, um, a bit of an overreaction maybe to 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 go for the full full years rather than sort of the, the two year ban that was settled on by the tribunal. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with you. Um, but um, I have to say that UK anti-doping are kind of doing their job here um, in that he used the substance intentionally, um, albeit not for performance-enhancing reasons, and he used it in competition. So under the terms of the code, that is a, a four-year ban. Now, fortunately for him, the National Anti-Doping Panel Tribunal um, sort of let common sense prevail and, and, and let him have the two-year ban that he ended up being sanctioned with. Um, and, and that's that's got to be a good thing, really. And that was that was on the basis that he sort of, uh, he wasn't necessarily aware that it, it, it was on the list of banded substances, is that right? And that he hadn't, there was no evidence that he'd had um, specific anti-doping education? Um, well, basically, what the conclusion they came to is is they asked themselves if they felt comfortably satisfied that the player would start taking ecstasy on a Saturday morning or at lunchtime before a game, <laughs> when, when the substance is a recreational drug that gives a euphoric feeling. 
and they said that on balance it didn't feel comfortably satisfied with Professor Cullen's key assumption that the player took one tablet and that it would have been at breakfast time on a match day. So, so they basically said, you know, we, we believe the player that he took this during the night um, for recreational purposes and didn't take this on a match day for performance enhancing purposes. So what's I mean just just in general the the have because again this was something we were talking about last night having um uh, recreational drugs sort of on the list is is the is the idea that it's to protect the player himself if there's no performance enhancing aspect to it that it provides protection to the the the, the players because clearly with with ecstasy there's the you know increased heart rate palpitations the possibility of um overheating is that why these drugs are on the water list. Um, they the, the 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 drugs are on the water list for for basically three reasons. Um, one, you know, it enhances performance. Um, two, that in its danger to health of the athlete. Or three, there's evidence of widespread use, and they want to put it on the list. Um, those those are basically the three categories. Um, and I suppose it falls into category number two. But there's also the field of play is also muddied a bit with MDMA because you can never be sure um, when you take MDMA the the, the the purity of the tablet. Um, it might be cut with amphetamines, um, which is considered performance enhancing in rugby. Um, it might not, um, in which case it probably wouldn't do you any good on the field of play anyway. Um, so it's it's a complicated one in that um, you never really know what's in an ecstasy pill. So you don't know whether the 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 you know the because irrespective of whether the player intended to enhance performance, the wider code is designed to protect the other players from an enhanced performance. Mm. So yeah. even if he didn't intend to enhance his performance, but did by taking a substance, the the other players were disadvantaged by that. Is wider's logic. So the player therefore needs to be sanctioned for the advantage that he got from the prohibited substance. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite an interesting argument um, and an interesting point, I suppose. That 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 it, yeah, I mean, because the answer to all of this is don't take drugs in the first place because oh. th- these aren't over-the-counter drugs that you can be sure of what's in them. Um, no. So that that's obviously the the the, the answer in the first place. Um, but the in terms of the the length of bans they're they're standard because we previously had a case in Scotland um, years ago I think before um, uh, the rules changed I think it was it was um, Sam Chalmers who was found to have used um, I think growth supplements uh, and received a ban um, uh, yeah. as a young player trying to sort of make himself bigger but the rules changed after that and it's it's a standard it's sort of the the the, the standard charge for or, or the standard ban that would be applied for in all cases of doping four years is that the case now there's not sort of um the standard the standard ban is four years um and if you like the burden of proof is kind of reversed in terms of normal law so <clears throat> with a player confronted with a doping positive and adverse analytical finding there's something in his urine um has to show how that substance got into his urine so he is guilty and will be sanctioned with a four-year ban unless he can show that his food was contaminated his water was contaminated his supplements were contaminated um he accidentally took his wife's diet pill um in one case he kissed his girlfriend who was taking a performance enhancing substance right um, okay, his ban got reduced because he proved that um, 
the, 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 his positive test had been due to kissing his girlfriend over a prolonged period. Right. And basically, Wada appealed that case, and and they lost. Right. <laughs> is is there an argument in ter- somewhere within all this that that the sort of a standard four year ban across the a standard four year ban um, across the board is 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 unworkable in terms of sort of like it shouldn't it's not fair i suppose to what i'm saying is is it fair to apply that to amateurs um it's a tricky one isn't it um because you know what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander as well um and you know if it's if it's fair to sanction a, an elite athlete for epo then amateur athletes should also be sanctioned for epo the problem is one of resources really um you can't test every amateur player in every amateur league i mean i did some research a while ago into the number of football games that take place annually in in the world and it's it's ridiculous you're talking about sort of upwards of 20,000 games a year you know <laughs> so there's no way you can test everyone yeah um yeah. so there needs to be some sort of common sense approach to this i agree um, but on, in this case, I think it, it was probably either just a random test. They turned up on the day and thought, I wonder if we'll get anything here. Um, or somebody, somebody dobbed him in. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's no sense that, that sort of amateur games are being sort of, um, targeted by the UK anti-doping agency in a sort of, uh, a way to show that they seem to be doing something then it's, it is sort of random. Um, difficult to say because we don't. We obviously you only ever hear about the positive tests. You don't hear about the negative ones. So you don't know how many amateur games in total they're they're turning up at or, or you know testing at. But what you do know, and they said this in evidence before the UK Parliament, is that sometimes they will say they're going to test at an event. Um, so they'll say they're going to test um, and watch to see who withdraws. Right. Right. So, you know, they'll they'll say we're going to test at this amateur triathlon, for example, and if two or three players withdraw, they'll they'll then go and target test them to save money rather than test everyone. And that seems to be a sensible approach to me. Um, however, if players get wind of it due to people like me, then it doesn't become so as <laughs> as effective as it was. <clears throat> yes. But, yeah. It's, it's a difficult one. You can't test everyone um, um, and you can't test nobody either. Um, there is evidence that there's um, that doping is creeping down the scale, if you like, and that elite athletes now know they're going to get caught, so they don't bother. But once you go down the divisions a bit, um, they think they can get away with it because they don't see they don't see the testers. Quite often they've had little education about what will happen if they do get caught. Um, and it's those guys that really get hammered, unfortunately. They also, um, incidentally, don't have the money to defend themselves uh, against such cases, which is expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting in this case that, that um, Mr. Wilson had managed to find himself a pro bono um, barrister, I think, to represent him, but but the barrister was unable to get instructions from him. Um, and I know sort of how hard it is to get uh someone to work for you pro bono so he was pr- he was pretty lucky to that extent i guess um but but normally that sort of defending yourself is it, it isn't something that's open to most amateur players then um it depends on how far it goes um you know if 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 it's if it's a hearing panel decision 
and you, you manage to secure a lawyer and you go through that and you don't get the result that you want, then what do you do? Do you then instruct laboratories to test your supplements? Because that costs a lot of money. Um, you then have to instruct a law firm to represent you. That costs money. And and where do you go? You go do you go to the um the the doping appeal panel of your sport, or do you go to the court of arbitration for sport? In which case you're talking big money. Yeah. And, yeah. and is the it, does the UK anti-doping agency have a responsibility for education and prevention as well, or is it purely a testing agency? Um, it's it's a mixture of both, really. I know that's a bit of a cop out answer, but um. <laughs> It's 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 mainly the responsible of the sport responsibility of the sport um, to educate its athletes um, under the code. They have it's the the results management authority, if you like, so the people that is in charge of testing the players. So in this case, Scottish rugby would be in charge of educating its players. Okay, um, that's been really interesting, Andy. Thank you very much for speaking to us. Um, it's certainly been an interesting case. I suppose the answer overall is don't buy supplements from uh, the back of someone's boot and don't don't do drugs in the first place and that's that's the way to to avoid all this um i i would say it's a little more complicated than that actually because even if you buy supplements from a reputable site you still can't be certain of, of exactly what's in it and there have been cases where people have done that and um they've they've tested positive for something that's not listed on the label um it's it's very very difficult and the list the prohibited list doesn't help because it contains confusing phrases like Beta-2 agonists are prohibited, and so are all optical isomers of beta-2 agonists. So you don't know exactly what beta-2 agonists are prohibited, because all the optical isomers of them are also prohibited. So the answer is, um, don't take supplements, (laughs) don't take recreational drugs. But as we know, all athletes take supplements. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Andy. That's been it's been really interesting. Um, we might uh, catch up with you again if something else ca- uh, crops up. But um, thanks very much for speaking to us. Well, let's hope not. But I'll be glad to talk to you again, Cameron. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, that was a really interesting chat we had with Andy there. Um, we should just say thank you very much to uh, the SRU who provided us with a number of different links to. Um, their advice on uh, doping, which is obviously don't do it, but there's a bit there on uh, how UK anti-doping works, a little bit of advice on supplements as well. Uh, we also um, heard from CW uh, Craig at CW Sports Nutritionists. Uh, I put a shout out on Twitter just asking if there's any sports nutritionists uh, around that could give some advice. Uh, Craig's pointed us to his article in, uh, let's have a look, uh, issue 109 of Scrum Magazine, um, and also put a, a link to Craig's um, website, which has got some excellent advice. Uh, Craig takes a food-first approach to um, to supplement use. Um, so, so no supplements at all would be Craig's advice as well. Um, so, so do check that, that those out if you are particularly affected by the issues uh, that we've talked about, or even if you just want to uh, have a look for yourself. Um, we, I have to say, we, we, we've. Um, we, we've not doing any of the normal features this week, but thank you to uh, a couple of people who've been in touch with uh, Where's Doogie Donnelly's. Um, Ian Wallace, as always, a uh, regular contributor, uh, said he saw uh, Cicerelli on Morningside Road this morning. Um, there was somebody else who saw somebody, and I will try and find it as we do it. But the um, the main thing this week was the three MCs um, who were at Ember Rugby inexplicably uh, for the Connacht game. Um, so we thought we'd do a bit of a, a fun thing and ask for your... Um, for your contributions 
to um, Beastie Boys songs uh, for their th- song three uh, MCs season one DJ. So, so Beastie Boys songs as rugby pods. Uh, I came up with License to Cockerel, uh, Intergalactic Fliku, uh, Skills to Pay the Billy Vinopola. Um We had one from Tim O'Connor uh, on Twitter who came up with, with uh, Surveyor Taj. Uh, that was a, an excellent one. Um, what were the other ones? We had uh, Jamie Campbell uh, on Twitter again. Slow and low is Grieglade's tempo. Uh, three scrum halves and only one standoff. And also uh, an open letter to an employee is not something that the SRU sends out. Um, some superb ones from Edinburgh Rugby, uh, formerly the Black and Red. Uh, you've got to fight for your right to parity of correct decisions between Edinburgh and bigger clubs of Pro 14 officials, allegedly. Uh, Shake your Kylo-sponsored rump. Um, a very good one. Um, Rory um, on our... Uh, our corporate account, Scottish Rugby Blog, uh, at Scott Rugby Blog on Twitter, said uh, the gala event speaks for itself. Derek Matheson, no sleep till Bridgeshoe. Um, David McIntosh asked, wasn't Man on the Bus famously about seeing Bennett getting on the number 26 in Roseburn? Um, uh, Trish Bronte has Song for Van der Merwe. Thank you also to uh, Martin Bell, the Ember Express on Twitter, who came up with uh, Jimmy James Johnson, Brass Donkey, uh, Grieg Man, um, and uh, he said, I always thought it was fight for your rights to Hardy. Um, Martin did put a special request in uh, for me to put these into jingle form, but as I pointed out to him, uh, my any attempt by me to rap would be uh, considered a hate crime. Um, that's it from us uh, for this week. Uh, don't forget to get in touch. Um, I've already, I'll not do it again. I'll not stick any music under it. Um, what have I got on here? Let's have a look. Find some nice music to, to send you on. Here we go. This is called the gonk. There we go. Too old for me. Um, we'll send you out with this anyway. So uh, yeah, don't forget to get in touch in the, the normal ways. Um, we'll be back next week with our normal podcast. Uh, in the meantime, it's goodbye from me.